You're listening to the Cape Friends Community Church podcast, recorded February twenty second, twenty fifteen. Practice. Growing up, I played baseball every single spring from the time I was four years old until I was in high school. I loved baseball, and the routine would you would sign up and then you get put on a team and then you would practice for a month or two, and the practices seemed like, the, the practice time seemed like it would just go on forever. You just could not wait for the games to start. And you knew the games were about to start when you would get your uniform. I remember getting to put on the bright white pants and the socks with the stirrups and the shirt and the hat. And, and you, when you first put it on, you feel like you're a professional baseball player. All the practice was leading up to the games, and, and, and when you step onto that field with the clean white pants and your stirrups and the socks and the, the shirt and the hat, you almost feel like you are a professional. And I remember when I was a kid, I would, I would try to imitate my favorite baseball players, how they would stand in, in the batter's box. And growing up, um, I grew up w- going to Dodger games, living in Southern California, and one of my favorite baseball players was Daryl Strawberry. Uh, and if you remember Daryl Strawberry, he had this huge leg kick. He would, he would shift all his weight to his back foot and this huge leg kick, and then he would explode into the ball. And I remember as a kid trying to imitate that, but, but it's tough to imitate because what happens when, you're, when there's that much body motion going on, it's a lot harder to hit the ball. My swing got really big, and, 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 I, and I remember a coach telling me, Andy, you can't swing like that. You are not Daryl Strawberry. Despite all my practice, despite all my preparation, no matter um, how much I wanted to hit like Daryl Strawberry, I couldn't do it. That was just not my swing, regardless of how much I practiced it. Today, we're continuing in our sermon series in the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 23. And I want to recap where we've been. Um, This is kind of an ongoing story. The story is starting to pick up momentum and shape, and it's moving faster and faster. The beginning of Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, they're entering into the temple. And as they enter into the temple, there's this man, and he's sitting there, and he's been at the entrance to the temple um, he's, he's been there his whole life. That's where he goes. That's where he hangs out. And he, and he asked for money. And he knew when, when prayer time was, this was what he did. This is how his life worked. His whole life was orientated around going to the temple at certain times when he knew people would be there and asking for money. This is how he survived. Peter and John on entering the temple, sure enough, this man is there and he asked for money. And Peter and John say, you know what, money we don't have, but we can heal you in the name of Jesus. And they say, stand up and walk. And he stands up and he's overjoyed. This was a man who's been crippled since birth, unable to walk, unable to move on his own accord. And here he is walking. So he walks in with Peter and John. You could imagine the commotion that it makes in the temple. Everybody knew who this guy was. Everybody in the temple, they're they're drawn to Peter and John. And and Peter and John, they, they say, you know what? Why do you look at us like we did this? This was not our doing, but this was the work of Jesus, whom you crucified. And they say this multiple times, that you crucified Jesus. It's this Jesus who healed him. And as a result, many people believe, well, this creates quite a stir in in the temple. And 
and some of the temple keepers, the Sadducees, they come and they arrest Peter and John and they put them in prison. The next day they have a trial for Peter and John and, and they try to get down to the bottom of the story. And so they ask, all right, so what's going on here? And Peter replies that what has happened to this man is a good thing. His main argument to the, to the temple keepers here, the Pharisees, and the, um, is that what happened to this man is a good thing. You can't deny that. And the good thing that happened to this man was the healing that Jesus brought him, the healing that Jesus did. Jesus, the one you crucified, the one you ex- exchanged a criminal for, is the one who healed him. And so they, they're, they're perplexed because everybody knows what has happened is a good thing. Can you really arrest people and throw them in prison for a good thing? They come back to Peter and John and they say, all right, get out of here. But never speak of this Jesus again. And Peter and John reply, well, you know what? There's no way that we could not speak about Jesus. Who should we listen to? Should we listen to God or should we listen to you? And and so they further warn them, do not speak of this Jesus, do not heal in his name, go on your way or something worse might happen to you. And this is where our text picks up. Acts chapter 4 starting in verse 23 says this, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voice together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So they get get together with their own people, their own peeps, and they're they're together. And Peter and John report back what the chief priests had said and the elders and, 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 and their response is to pray. And, and I want us to look at, we're going to be looking at their prayer this morning. What is it that they pray? And the first words that come out of their mouth, sovereign Lord. Sovereign is a fancy way of saying one and only. And then they make a statement. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. This statement is a statement of who is in control. Who holds all things? Who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them? It's the one and only God. Before their prayer, they make a statement about reality. They make a statement about the reality that they live in. Now, if you go back in time to Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, you don't have to turn there, but follow with me. Um, Before the Ten Commandments, there's this line, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. It's a statement about God's character. It's a statement about who God is, what God is about. And the reason why there's this statement is because it's a perspective on how they are to see the world. That this God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, wants you to live in a particular kind of way. And so when the disciples and, and their, their people, they, they say this prayer, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. It's this perspective, it's this lens in which they see the world. It's this perspective in how they see the world that God is in control. God, who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them, holds all of this in his hand. It's all God's. Now, psychologists say that our, when we are lonely, our perspective changes. 
Um, oftentimes when we are lonely, we can develop a very negative view of ourselves. Why would somebody want to hang out with me? I'm no good. And what happens is our lens, our view of the way we see the world is altered. How we view one particular thing is how we see everything. So how is it that we go about having a lens in which accurately gives us perspective? Their prayer, it starts with a statement of reality that they live in. God made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. All this is God's, everything in it. See, this is not just a statement of belief, but it's how they orientate their lives. I want us to grab onto this. This is not just a statement of belief, but it's how they orientate their lives. Now, I'm going to throw out some big, fancy theological terms, so bear with me. Now, the first one is orthodoxy. Orthodoxy, it literally means straight belief or, or right belief. Um, and, and then the second word is orthopraxy. Think of like orthodontist, right? An orthodontist makes your teeth straight. It means straight or right practice. And so this is not just a statement about belief, but this is a statement about the, how they practice life in the world they live in, that God made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. This is not just orthodox belief, but this is the practice. This is the way they orientate their lives, that God is in control. Now remember, what these early believers are responding to is a risen Christ that was put to death, hung on a cross, put into a grave, and then rose again the third day. And this Christ now dwells in man, now dwells in us. Remember, this is the same God that walked with Adam in the garden, the same God that was up on Mount Sinai, the same God that dwelt in the temple, the same God that is Jesus And now this God dwells within them, the one who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. This is the God. This is how they orientate their lives. This is not just orthodox, but this is now orthopraxy. This is the what they practice. This is the reality that they live in. This is the lens that they see the world. Going on, verse 25. You spoke the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Now they go on and they quote Psalm 2 and listen to this. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So they go on and they quote Psalm 2. And Psalm 2 is also a statement about the reality of the present world that they live in and its condition. You see, when we pray, I, I sometimes wonder if we're really honest, if we're really honest about the condition that the world is in. Do we, do we actually say to God, God, look at this look at how messed up this is and it, so it's a statement they also understand that in the midst that all this world is God's everything in it that there is corruption 
that that nations rage and the people plot in vain. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord. This is the world that they live in. In this world that they live in, they even took Jesus. They conspired together to put Jesus to death. Now, in the Psalms, there are three different types of Psalms. The first kind of psalm is a psalm of orientation. This is the psalm where everything is right in the world, that there's food in your belly, you are blessed, there's shelter over your head, there's money in the bank account, God is faithful, God is blessing, praise God. Then there's the second kind of psalm, the psalm of disorientation. It's that, it's that psalm where nothing is right, God, why is my bank account empty? God, why do I feel so lonely? God, why am I so isolated? God, why do the nations rage? Why do the people plot in vain? God, why why is this going on? It's suffering. And the third kind of psalm. It's a psalm of reorientation. It's moving from that disorientation to orientation. It's a new way of being. See, what often happens when we go through life is we experience these times of orientation where everything is right in the world, and then within us we experience these times of disorientation where it seems though as though nothing is right. Why do people plot in vain? Why do people hate God? But what we know is that God does not, is not a stagnant God. God is not interested in keeping us right where we are. And there's this process where God reorientates us and moves us from disorientation back to orientation, but in that process we are changed and we draw are drawn closer to God. And so this prayer is this acknowledgement of where they are. This is a psalm. Psalm 2 is a prayer, is a psalm of disorientation. Why? There's nothing right. The nations rage. People plot in vain. Kings rise up, rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord. See, this is not just a statement for them, but, but we understand this today, right? We, we ask these same questions. Why are nations angry? Why do people plot in vain? Why, why, why are our leaders, why do they rise up and why are they against God? Why is this happening? And we ask these questions. And, and they're not just big global questions, but, but we ask these questions that go on with us locally, Right? You know, why are our relationships strained? Why is there divorce? Why is there this problem in the church with how we treat one another? Why do we have a hard time going to one another? And I think here's the reason why. It's because we as a church are really, really good about finding the right things to believe. But do we really practice it? Do we really live in the reality that God holds all things? He is the one who created the land, the sea, and everything in them. It's with this lens and this perspective and how they are praying. They acknowledge, God, there's suffering in the world. God, why are they plotting in vain? God, why are my relationships strained? Why are they broken? Because God is moving us. God is shaping us. And it's this lens, God holds all things, yet there is destruction. Let's see how, let's continue on in their prayer. It says this, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great 
boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Do you see what's going on here? So, so they start off, God, all this is yours. You're the one who put everything into motion. You filled the land, the sea. You are in control. And yet, in the midst of this world that you created, there are people that plot against you. Now, look how they see their role in it. I want us, I want us to get this. It says this, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Notice that their prayer is not, Lord, help our faith, help us to believe rightly, help us to believe the right things. May we believe more. That's not their prayer. Their prayer is that they speak the word with great boldness. They ask God, stretch out your hand, heal, perform signs, wonders through your name of your holy servant, Jesus. They don't see themselves simply as people who need to believe the right things, but they see themselves as partners with God in the renewal of all things. Do we see ourselves as the church, as the people of God right here in 2015, as partners with God in the renewal of all things? That God does not simply want us to believe just the right things, have the right orthodoxy, but, but we actually put it into practice and we actually live it out. Listen to what happens afterwards. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I think this is what happens when we live out the gospel. This is what happens when we live out the gospel with boldness, is that things are shaken. The places where we stand are not the same. And there are a lot of people invested in keeping things the same. There are a lot of people invested in in letting sin reign. And now whenever believers are there and they speak the word of God with truth and great boldness and are filled with the Holy Spirit, you better believe that things are going to be shaken you better believe that things are going to be shaken we as quakers it's in our dna it's in our history that we are not people who who just sit by and are and are satisfied with just believing the right things but there there's this long history and tradition of quakers putting their faith into practice Quakers were instrumental in freeing slaves in the Underground Railroad. Th- there's writings and journals about how, how this was a struggle for, for Quakers living, um, living in this time of slavery. Was whether they were going to simply believe the right things that it's wrong or whether they were going to actually put it into practice. And you know what? Today here in 2015, we are faced with the same things. Are we bold enough to put our faith into practice? We are moving beyond. People talk about, you know, America being a post-Christian nation. Uh, a post-Christian nation. I think what they really mean by that is we are now a nation where where church is not the norm. I don't know if... um, I don't, I don't know if it's right to say that it was a, a Christian nation, 
I know some people might might get angry at me for saying that, but but now there's not this norm assumption that people go to church and simply believe the same way. You see what's going on now is that that we're we're in this time, this period as the church where our faith, what we believe, is going to be tested. Do we re- really believe? and put it into practice? Do we really speak with great boldness, or do we water down our message? Do we allow sin to rule, to reign? Do we say, oh, well, it's okay? One of the ways we do this in the church, and I'm I'm talking about as us in here, is that we settle for sin. And, and, And we say it like this, that's just the way he or she is. That's just how they are. And the question is, is are we living out, are we like Jesus? Are we putting our faith into practice? Because we as Christians should not just be satisfied. That's just the way he or she is. That's the way they are, but we are about joining God in the renewal of all things, taking people in situations that are in disorientation and being moved into reorientation where God is reorientating us into a new way of being, drawing us closer to him. Because you better believe that things are going to be shaken when, when God is moving amongst his people. When God's people are bold and not, and not settling for that's just the way it is. One of my favorite theologians, Walter Brueggemann, he writes this. The task of prophetic ministry is to evoke an alternative community that knows it is about different things in different ways. And that alternative community has a variety of relationships with the dominant community. See, the task of ministry is to evoke an alternative community that knows that it is different, that it is bold, it's different, it's about different things in different ways. And you know what? This community that that is about different things in different ways, it has a relationship with the dominant community. And you know what? When, when, When those two communities intersect, you better believe that things are going to be shaken. So I want us to go back and think about the lens in which you see the world this morning. Do do we really believe that God is in control of all things, that he put everything into motion? And if we really do believe that, do we live in that reality? Is that the practice that we live in, that God is in control, that God is in the business of renewing and restoring, even in the midst of death and destruction. My prayer is that we, as the people of God, that we might be bold. That we would not be people who settle for just believing the right things but we would be people who put our faith into practice and we live it out. And you better believe 
that when we live out our faith, and it's going to look different from the ways of the world, that things are going to be shaken. The other day at men's breakfast, I was sharing just a part of this message, and we were talking about the ways in which we have had to step out and actually practice what we believe. And in a lot of us, for a lot of us, one of the main themes that I took away was that there are times when God is asking us to step out into the unknown. When God is asking us to step out into the unknown, and we have to really trust. It makes us live it out. Is God really in control? Does he hold all things? I know for me and my family, we picked up our whole lives from Southern California. We moved up here a year ago. And I don't want to lie to you and tell you that it's just easy. But I want to encourage you and let you know that God has been faithful. It's not easy to pick up and move. It's not easy to just leave everything for what God is calling you to do. It's not easy. It's hard to put our faith into practice. It doesn't always make sense. This morning, what is it that you're practicing? What is it that you're living out? May we as the people of God go beyond believing the right things and may our faith be put into practice. May God use us. May God shape us. May God change us. And God make us bold.